the humidity 77%. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Car Ha. Good morning, Car. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the pace of recovery in the aviation industry as connectivity between Hong Kong and the rest of the world is gradually restored. Speaking at an Aviation Day event last Wednesday, the Airport Authority Chairman Jack So said that passenger traffic was back to 60% of pre-COVID levels and was expected to make a full recovery by the end of next year. The sector is also in a race to find new talent with the authority holding a careers expo over the weekend and with many airline workers having switched careers attracting talent back into the sector is proving to have challenges how soon will hong kong be able to regain lost routes uh, how effective will the plan to import workers be in helping to alleviate the labor shortage ahead of the planned major expansion of the airport and under the airport city development strategy after 9.45, we get a film critic's take on the Barbenheimer phenomenon. Let us know what you think. You can uh, leave a message on our Facebook page. Uh, that's uh, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And now we can uh, uh, welcome to our studio here in Kowloon Tong, uh, Stephen Cheung founder and CEO of uh, private jet operator Seaplane Hong Kong Group and founding chairman of the Hong Kong Professional Airline Pilots Association. Stephen, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, and then uh, also on the line, we have uh, Herman Jair, is a senior aviation analyst at the consultancy Ascend by Sirium, and also Brendan Sobey, aviation analyst and consultant at Sobey Aviation. Um, so, uh, OK, 60% capacity, we're back to uh, Stephen, um, looking to uh, full recovery by end of next year when the, the three runway system should be fully operational. How's the situation looking to you? Well, it's very optimistic for, uh, for, 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 for our members, especially the pilot space in Hong Kong, because there's a lot of uh, job opportunity. The industry is growing in Hong Kong. Uh, it, it, it's, 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 we, well, we have to go back to... Uh, Earlier this year, we opened quite late, <laughs> so we, we aren't quite prepared for the demand or revenge travel that we have in Hong Kong. And of course, the airline industry hasn't been investing in in, 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 in training and, and, and capacity. So, you know, we're all rushing around like a headless, a headless chicken, looking for crews, looking for aircraft, getting the aircraft activated. Uh, but we're slowly and, and, and steadily getting there. Mm. Uh, yeah, slowly and steadily. How much of a, how much of a sort of hindrance is the labour shortage on, uh, you know, plans to uh, restore old routes, uh, start operating new routes, that kind of thing. Uh, um, you know, the expansion of airport activities. Uh, um, I mean, there's still thousands of, uh, you know thousands of jobs not filled at the airport at the moment. Well, definitely. Um, uh, the, the, the problem is airline takes, you know, almost six months to a year for the commercial department to 
plan those routes and engineers to reactivate those aircraft and get those uh, uh, aircraft uh, up and running. And of course, crew, uh, you train a brand new pilot from zero hours to, to, to a commercial uh, uh, licensed pilot. It takes 200 hours, which is almost two years of training. And then on top of that, you've got type ratings, which takes another six mo- uh, two to six months to, to, to get someone fully qualified to operate a aircraft. Um, so it's it's um, it's it, it, it's a very long and hideous process. Um, on on the other hand, um, it's causing a great impact to me and you, the traveling public, because you know we used to have you know forty flights to Taipei per day, one of the busiest route in uh, 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 around the world. That now you know the reducing capacity obviously resulted in in, in higher fares, so it's more expensive to travel. Yeah, yeah, f- fares are expensive, aren't they? Flights, flights to uh, to UK, for instance. Uh, yeah, I know about that. Yeah, mm. uh, and also, like for example, as you said about like training time is uh, quite long. So, and but now in Hong Kong, we are like facing the personal shortage problem. So, do you th- actually think the admission of like mainland professional scheme can help this like situation? Up to a certain extent, the, 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 the problem is the qualification um, needs time to transfer. So everything needs time. Um, <laughs> but um, in terms of, uh, you know, manual labor, for example, working, working, airport check-in and, 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 and ground staff construction worker, of course, yes, we, we, can, we, we, we can fill those. But we've got to think about long term. What mm. are we going to do? Uh, uh, you know, we've got to think about the youth that we have in Hong Kong, giving them opportunities, an uh, area to grow. And, and, and the AV industry is one of the most fascinating industry and as, as part of the 14 5 years plan China planned to grow Hong Kong into one of the biggest aviation hub with the third runway system uh, and, and, and you know with the advent of, of many new startup airline in Hong Kong you know the opportunity will continue to grow the problem is are we ready for the challenge ahead mm-hmm. Okay, uh, just before I bring in our, our other guests, uh, just a, a message here from the transport department. And this is, uh, uh, I mean, to a, a traffic accident on the Connaught Road flyover. Uh, the diversion arising from a water main burst at Wong Juk Hang Road and the implementation of intermittent closure of the Western Harbour crossing, um, Hong Kong bound. So traffic in the vicinity of uh, Central and Western District and Aberdeen is very busy including the following road sections uh, Hill Road flyover, Central bound Connaught Road West, Central bound Pokfalam Road, Central bound, Connaught Road Central flyover, Wan Chai bound and West Kowloon Highway uh, Western Harbour crossing bound. So if you're in any of those uh, areas on any of the roads in those areas, uh, um, uh, be prepared for delays, obviously. Um, so um, let's, uh, let's let's now talk to uh, Brendan Sobey, aviation analyst and consultant at Sobey Aviation. Brendan Sobey, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Thanks for Thank joining for us. Th- uh, yeah, um, thanks for joining us. Yeah. So um, so we had a big uh, aviation conference here last week. Um, uh, uh, Willie Walsh of uh, of uh, IATA was here. Said uh, declared that Hong Kong is back. Is uh, is that uh, an, an accurate statement? Well, it's certainly on the way to becoming back. And I think um, you know he was quite critical uh, during the pandemic and, and even uh, as recently as a few months ago about the um, slow slow kind of recovery in Hong Kong. And uh, so it's good to see IATA and Willie Walsh making more optimistic statements now. Uh, I think really. Realistically, um, Hong Kong is is on this recovery curve that's pretty similar to the recovery curves of other major airports uh, in the region. It's just that Hong Kong started later, so it's um, 
it's just somewhere else on that curve compared to, say, Singapore or, or some of the other major airports. But we've known for some time that Hong Kong will be about uh, 70% by the end of this year and, and hopefully 100% by the end of next year. These are not really new. Um, it also follows what Cathay Pacific guidance, Cathay Pacific obviously being the main airline, main airline group in Hong Kong, that those are their capacity plans as well. So not, no surprise there, actually. Um, again, it follows what Cathay Pacific has been saying for several months already, and it also follows uh, kind of the curve that we've seen in other markets like Singapore. It's just Hong Kong's like a year behind everybody else. So mm. it's just like, you know, one year later, um, but similar numbers. So, um, uh, hi, Brandon. So I, I'm wondering, like, uh, for example, because the airport authorities say like um, the 80% of the recovery rate will be uh, done by the end of this year and like 100% recovery will be done by the end of next year. So uh, what do you think about the biggest obstacle to achieve this ideal or like reality situation? Well, I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, obviously we were just talking about manpower, but I think the plans are in place uh, from a manpower perspective both at the airport and, and at the airline space in Hong Kong to to achieve the capacity of recovery. It just takes time because it takes time to recruit and train as, as we were just talking to. Um, so that, you know, a lot of that still has to be implemented. So that's somewhat of, of a challenge, although I think um, it's, a, it's a challenge that can be met and that the plans are in place to meet that challenge. The other side, of course, is demand. Um, you know, we, we have to assume that, you know, demand is going to be there for 100% recovery. Right now, demand is way higher than supply, which is what we've seen in many markets over the last year since, since uh, especially in the initial recovery phase where capacity takes a long time to catch up to demand because there's all this pent up revenge travel demand and capacity takes a long time to, to come back uh, because of the manpower and other issues, aircraft issues and so forth. So assuming that demand, it, you know, it continues to, to, um, to, to be strong, which is a big assumption because we don't really know, you know what demand will look like, say, at the end of next year based on economic uh, situation and other factors. So, um, so that, that, that's a big thing. Um, and also, um, to re- achieve 100% recovery, not only do, does uh, Cathay Pacific, uh, you know, the main carrier in Hong Kong, have to come back as they are planning to come back by the end of the next year, the foreign airlines also have to come back. And, um, you know, so, so those airlines have to be um, persuaded to, to restore, fully restore their capacity into Hong Kong. Um, so, and for that to happen, First of all, the demand has to be there. Second of all, these airlines, you know, have to prioritize Hong Kong a bit higher than other markets. Um, you know, at you know at the moment, a lot of them have, you know, have less capacity, relatively speaking, into Hong Kong than other markets. Airlines like Singapore Airlines, for example, is almost fully recovered, but its capacity in Hong Kong is, is very is very small, actually, relatively speaking. So, um, so so all that has to happen. Um, you know, a lot can happen between now and then the next year. So, so this is just you know a forecast, a projection, a kind of a optimistic kind of scenario, but, you know, it may or may not happen, of course, because a lot can happen mm-hmm. between now and the end of next year. Sure. Um, um, Herman Jair, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, t- so does it seem like a, a realistic scenario to you? Like, uh, you know, um, up to uh, 70, 80 percent recovery by the end of this year, 100 percent by the end of next year? Yeah, that, I think that's the plan for the local airlines like uh, uh, Cafe Pacific and Hong Kong Airlines. They're planning to have a 70% uh, capacity back by the end of this year and 100% by the end of next year. So I think uh, for local airlines, I think that is a, a realistic target because uh, if you 
I think what, what Stephen mentioned, uh, it takes time for the training and it also takes time for the airlines to bring the aircraft back because during the uh, pandemic, uh, many aircraft are being parked uh, for, for to, to save some operating costs. So it will take some time for them to uh, bring the aircraft back and train uh, the staff and, uh, to support the capacity. And particularly the, the uh, flight crew, uh, both uh, cockpit crew and the cabin crew, this take a relatively longer time than the ground handling staff to uh, up to speed uh, to serve the uh, aircraft. And so for ground staff perspective, it's also an, uh, another issue. There are currently uh, 55,000 staff working in the airport right now. It's just only uh, roughly a first fewer than what we had in early 2020 before the pandemic. And yeah, as you mentioned, some staff were laid off, some staff were moved to the other industries during the pandemic. And many of them may not return to the aviation industry unless they are very passionate about it. Uh, for example, like a passenger service staff, they could easily shift to other customer service industry because the skills is transferable. But when we talk about ground handling staff, it's not only the passenger service uh, that help us check in and boarding, but also the RAM surface agents, aircraft maintenance technicians, cargo handlers, or equipment operators, etc. So we need to fill these positions, and in order to have a, a better service to to us as a passenger uh, to uh, to the public. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had the major uh, jobs uh, expo uh, over the weekend, partly uh, organised by the uh, airport authority. Um, um, are, are events like that going to sort of, um, you know, help to regenerate interest uh, in the industry? Yeah, hopefully that's the case, because now uh, we need another 16,000 people to meet the target of uh, 69,000 by the end mm -hmm. of next year. Mm -hmm. And to support the food uh, runway operations, we need 100,000 staff. So there's a mm -hmm. big gap in there. Therefore, the expo could be, uh, uh, hopefully we can do everything. I mean, the industry could do everything to attract the talents from uh, in Hong Kong and, of course, uh, we have the uh, import labor scheme that hopefully also help a bit on supporting uh, the airport in, in the future. Okay. Uh, a couple of messages uh, here from uh, listeners. Uh, um, <clears throat> This one uh, from TC says uh, uh, this would explain why direct flights from Vancouver to Hong Kong are so expensive nowadays. It's, uh, <laughs> it's still around uh, uh, 1,700 uh, Canadian dollars uh, uh, after the summer high season. Even stopping in Taiwan costs uh, over uh, 1,100 uh, Canadian. I paid uh, less than 700 Canadian when I went back to Hong Kong for vacation in 2019. I can't imagine seeing Hong Kong recovering to that price level anytime soon. Uh, Marcus says, uh, how is 60% a recovery? Well, that's, that was 60% uh, 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 capacity, passenger capacity back. I suppose uh, uh, we would say it's uh, on the road to recovery. But just on, on, the, on the issue of uh, prices, uh, uh, Stephen, how, I mean, how about that? If, if prices are high because of, uh, because of uh, uh, a lack of uh, carrying uh, capacity, if you like, uh, that, is that is that deterring passengers and uh, and uh, and delaying a full recovery? Do you think? Well, absolutely not. I think would you rather be stuck in Hong Kong or be on a beach in in, in, in Thailand? You know, I, I would definitely pick the latter. So, so the demand is definitely there. The, the 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 thing is, we've got to look beyond Hong Kong. We're always talking about the Greater Bay Area. There's 70 million people in the Greater Bay Area with three major airports. So it's a huge catchment area. Of course, there are 
threat. We've got to be absolutely realistic. I mean, not everybody's going to travel for Hong Kong. Uh, the the other thing is um, um, uh, Guangzhou and, and, and Zhenzhen is expanding quite fast. And the other bit is Qantas. They're working on Project Sunrise. So is it actually necessary to fly direct uh, uh, a transit by Hong Kong or Singapore when you can fly fly direct on the uh, new 787 service uh, in the near future? So 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 um, actually, it's already operating, but they can increase capacity. So so of course, um, um, in 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 terms of of, of the economics. The airline would like to keep the high, the price uh, fair uh, as high as possible. That's that's one thing. The second thing is, of course, um, the, the 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 labor challenges will continue to exist with the third runway, and we've got a couple of airlines recovering. It's not just Cathay Pacific. We're talking about Hong Kong Airlines, Hong Kong Express, and the brand new Greater Bay um, Airlines with a very aggressive expansion plan. So those are the challenges that we have internally within the aviation market. Where are we going to find the talents if America? America is paying three hundred thousand US dollars, up to a million US dollars, to headhunt pilots. Where are we going to get those pilots? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite. Uh, what, what, uh, Brendan Sobey, what do you think about that? Where, where are we going to get the crew from if, uh, if, if the, uh, the other competition is too strong? Oh well, it's just about you know paying uh, sufficient salaries uh, to, to attract this, this crew to, to to Hong Kong. Obviously, it can't be entirely homegrown. Um, you know, some some pilots over time can be homegrown. Uh, some cabin crew can be recruited locally. Um, but um, in Hong Kong, like Singapore and other major kind of multinational cities, um, Dubai uh, in particular, or Qatar or Abu Dhabi, um, they rely heavily on uh, international recruitment, and that you have to pay um, you know the going international rate to attract people. So it's um, it is possible. Um, you just have to pay a bit more, and of course, um, you know cost start increasing uh, on many fronts, whether it's, it's pilot costs or, or uh, the cost of uh, other items due to inflation and um, you know, high interest rates and so forth. Obviously, airlines will have to look to uh, you know, cover those costs with higher fares. But ultimately, um, airfares is, 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 is based on supply and demand. So at the moment, um, not only in Hong Kong, but just generally speaking, demand all, all over the place is, is hot, a lot higher than supply. Um, but as more supply comes in and more competition comes into the market, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see that the gap between demand and supply uh, narrow and um, fares come down, you know, even if airlines become unprofitable, which, they, you know, a lot of airlines were unprofitable pre-pandemic, particularly in Asia, that, you know, they have to compete. And uh, even if costs are high uh, or fuel prices are high and everything else is high, if there's high intense competition and a lot of capacity in the market, fares will come down to, to you know, what we were seeing pre-COVID. Uh, potentially, but again, it's just a matter of you know wh- where demand is and where supply is. Uh, mm. Right now, there's a massive gap between uh, demand and supply. Mm. Um, Herman Jair, would you expect to see a kind of a in- inflationary spiral in terms of uh, 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 pay salary for for uh, cockpit crew and indeed uh, cabin crew? Exactly, because of the inflation now, the operations costs, uh, operating costs are really high. Uh, it's mainly driven by the uh, high energy costs, uh, labor costs, material costs, etc. But uh, uh, as Brenda mentioned, this is not unique to Hong Kong. With many uh, markets globally, typical are uh, seeing ha- uh, high costs today uh, due to the inflation. So that's why the ticket price remains high at the moment. In fact, of course, the capacity shortage in the market uh, is also another. Are many reasons. 
Uh, we talk about how, how to attract the pilots back, and and I think if you're saying the the local pilot, I, I think uh, everyone is uh, for for the local citizen. They are very keen on coming back, working for the local airlines, and and uh, for 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 their future career. But if you look at the uh, foreign pilots, yes, I think you we need to pay more uh, to to attract them back to this market because uh, many of them are being hired uh, from the from the Western countries because they opened up uh, much earlier than us uh, since last year or, or the year before. So uh, they, they already set it down and if you need to hire recruit people from overseas, so that would be uh, very challenging at the moment. So you need to pay a, a, a huge amount of money to attract them. Mm. So um, I want to know, except from like, as we know, the captain crew, we are like facing the shortage problem and also actually the ground service, we are like facing another problem of the labor, labor shortage. So um, do you guys like actually think about, for example, the technology, uh, for example, the AI or like similar to that, this big chain can actually help with the labor shortage problem? Yeah, for some, uh, actually, this in this uh, probably many industries there we're looking at AI automations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you look at our airport, Hong Kong International Airport, uh, uh, we are doing uh, very well. So, uh, if you travel uh, since uh, this year, you can see we have an uh, automated travel. You can uh, for, from from check-in, mm. from security checks, and then go through the boarding gates, and then to. Uh, so it's all automatic. You let uh, it will save some stuff and operating costs in that sense. That's for sure the direction. One of the directions that the industry is looking in, and also for the manual labor work in the, in the, for example, for the, in the cargo terminal, they are also working on some some kind of automation in order to save some manpower. Hmm. Okay. Uh, let's just ask um, um, Brendan Sobey then, because I, I know you have to leave us at uh, 9.30. Uh, so, of course, um, Hong Kong, we, we, we mentioned earlier, you know, Hong Kong being part of the GBA, the Greater Bay Area, um, 11 cities within a, a one-hour uh, living circle. Um, uh, how much of uh, a factor, an important factor, is that going to be in the recovery of uh, Hong Kong's uh, aviation industry going forward? Well, I, it's, it's not only about the recovery, it's about future growth and, and certainly the third runway uh, or three runway system plan uh, for uh, for Hong Kong um, factors factors that in. Because once we do get to 100 um, percent, the third runway system, you know, will be, op will be open and ready and, and Hong Kong will be able to grow, which they weren't able to do before the pandemic. And um, and a lot of that strategy is about this, uh, you know, an extended home market, so to speak, which is uh, drawing people in from uh, from mainland China. Uh, it, it, but it's a it, it's a competitive situation. There's, there's, you know, with the bridge open, um, the, the, the the there's the, the airports, um, you know, can compete a bit more with each other than they were before. Um, you know, whether that's Macau or Shenzhen or, or Guangzhou is a bit further away, obviously, but. Um, and, and some of the other smaller airports in, in mainland China, um, but Hong Kong is also a um, it, it also is a gateway into China. So it's it's um, it, not only the the the, the Pearl River Delta area, but but connecting with the rest of China um, is very much part of the Cathay Pacific and the Hong Kong strategy uh, and recovering that uh, that transit traffic from from mainland China that flies into Hong Kong and and beyond. Um, is a key part of the recovery and, 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 and the future growth. At the moment, the Chinese carriers are basically fully recovered in Hong Kong, as well as in Macau, actually. 
um, but the hot Cathay Pacific is, 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 is way behind, um, you know, on, only about half recovered in, in, in that market as a group. So um, they have to rebuild that capacity, which then kind of feeds into the, uh, the, into the hub and helps the other routes grow as well. Um, Hong Kong's position, is, I should say, is quite is a little bit different than the other airports. It relies very heavily, uh, completely on international and, and particularly on long call. Um, if you look at um, the Chinese airports, a lot of that traffic is domestic, so they're, they're, they're more recovered now at the moment because they rely more on that domestic China market. Um, and Macau, of course, is a much smaller airport that's catering to, to mainland China and to regional traffic, uh, you know, particularly Taiwan, uh, Japan, Korea, just the, the Asia, Asia region, while, while Hong Kong is unique with its long-haul network. So it's, um, th- there is some competition, but there's also some uniqueness with, with Hong Kong, and, and clearly um, I think um, the growth uh, should be there. Um, for, 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 for Hong Kong and for Cathay Pacific. Okay, okay, great. Uh, yes, and I just heard you will, in fact, be able to uh, stay with us for a bit longer, uh, Brendan Serbia, which is, uh, uh, that's good news because we're going to continue the discussion in just a moment. We've got to take a, a short break for a news summary followed by a, a couple of uh, announcements. Um, Let's have a quick look at the weather first. Uh, sunny periods uh, and a few showers today. Um, thunderstorms in the morning, very hot in the afternoon. Um, the top temperature today will be around 33 degrees. That's in the urban areas. Uh, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. Moderate uh, southwesterly winds, occasionally fresh. The outlook, very hot with sunny periods in the next couple of days. Currently, it is 30 degrees, humidity 76%. Now the news with Ben Che. The operator of the Kaitak Cruise Terminal says a more robust transport network is needed to accommodate cruise passengers. Jeff Bent, the managing director of Worldwide Cruise Terminals, says next year they expect over 140 ships to berth at the terminal, but said current transport links were weak. The Secretary for Environment and Ecology has called on the public to do more to reduce Hong Kong's carbon footprint in the face of spiking global temperatures. De Chin Wan said the city had done quite well so far and remained committed to achieving net zero carbon emissions by 2050. But critics warn the SAR has a long way to go. And the generals who have seized power in Niger say they've closed the country's airspace until further notice in response to threats to the threat of military intervention against them. The announcement came as a deadline expired for them to restore the elected president or face possible action from the West African regional grouping ECOWAS. I'll have more news at 10. A new regulatory regime for the travel industry has been in full force from September the 1st, 2022. Travel agent, tourist guide and tour escort are regulated by the Travel Industry Ordinance. If a licensee commits any irregularities, the Travel Industry Authority will act according to the law. A travel agent must hold a valid license to do business. Always patronize a licensed agent to safeguard your interests. Please visit tia.org.hk for more. The government has launched HK eToll. With a vehicle tag, there is no need to stop to pay tunnel tolls. Tolls will be deducted from your account automatically. Starting from 5 a.m. on August 6th, HK eToll is implemented at the Western Harbour Crossing. When using toll tunnels that don't have HK eToll yet, please continue to use the existing payment methods. Visit hketoll.gov.hk for more. Drive smart with HK eToll. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 
and have your say. And welcome back to Back Chat with Kaha and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about uh, the, the pace of recovery in the aviation industry. We have uh, uh, three uh, expert guests uh, with us this morning. Uh, Stephen Chung, founder and CEO of the private jet operator Seaplane uh, Hong Kong Group and founding chairman of the Hong Kong Professional Airline Pilots Association. Herman Jair, who's a senior aviation analyst at the consultancy uh, Send by Sirium. And uh, Brendan Sobey, aviation analyst and... And consultant at Sobe Aviation. Um, um, Stephen Jung, we were talking um, in the first part of the programme uh, mostly about uh, passenger carrying capacity, but uh, I mean, let's not forget that, of course, Hong Kong is the world's, uh, the world's biggest, busiest uh, cargo uh, airport and has been for some time. Uh, last year moved uh, 4. million tonnes of cargo. Um, the capacity is projected uh, when the third runway system is uh, fully operational by the end of next year, projected to um, be able to move uh, 10 million tonnes of cargo a year. So uh, um, that's obviously uh, like a, a major factor for the SAR and the Greater Bay Area uh, economically, yeah? You'd expect that trend to continue? Well, absolutely. Mm. I mean, it, uh, the Hong Kong International Airport, um, the airport authority recently uh, opened a CIQ facilities in, in, in Xinjiang. So you can actually ship the cargo and pass um, the custom immigration quarantine uh, procedure uh, in Xinjiang and then it will just ship it directly to the airport and, and, and ready to, to um, uh, put on a plane. So uh, the, the, the authorities and the government is doing a lot to, 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 to increase the, um, the cargo capacity or passenger capacity with the third runway system. The problem is the bigger picture, which is the global economic outlook. I mean, you know, with the rising interest rate and 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 and, and uh, possible recession in, in in Europe and gas prices going, uh, energy prices being so high, um, those will definitely uh, affect consumer confidence, investor confidence, and 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 and, and th that will ultimately re reflect the 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 re uh, demand uh, for 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 cargo and and, and the um, uh, travel. Um, and domestically, of course, we've got the greater Bay area with 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 a lot of people so so but again the the the, the demand is usually outwards uh, uh, uh european and american importing rather than us uh, importing uh, uh western goods so so uh, we also need to uh, improve the domestic consumption as well uh, internally and that's what that's what's been talking about uh xiangyou uh, in 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 the um uh, double circulation in in in, in chinese uh, in in the 14 5 years plan so so yes we definitely need to do more internally and externally, but I, th I think the future is bright for the aviation market and for my, for my coll colleagues. Mm. And also, I actually find a very interesting like topic to discuss because, uh, Stephen, as we know, you are also a founder and CEO of private jet operator Seaplane Hong Kong Group. And actually, I'm wondering, like, uh, will you be a very like competitor, like? versus Hong Kong like local airline or international airline to attract more people because I think maybe you will like offer a higher or more attractive package to the flight attendant or pilot as a perfect jet company so will you be like a very major competitor with well, well, with it because we, 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 we attract um, uh, talent locally but th there's one thing that 
I'm particularly passionate about, which is innovation in Hong Kong. And innovation is not usually linked to the aviation market. The GDS, Global Distribution System, the thing that we use for ticketing, it's based on a 1960 technology. We, uh, until a few years ago, we, we, we only recently started carrying iPad and we had tons and tons of uh, aircraft manual on a 300 million US dollar machine. Um, um, uh, AI, you know, when, 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 uh, we, when the border restarted, we started to talk about, uh, 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 talk to customer service on chatbot. It, mm. We had to wait six to 12 hours before airline reply. What the hell is going on? We live in 2023. We need more innovation for that. Well, it's actually it's beneficial. Airline need to invest more on innovation technology so that they can reduce costs. The customer will have better customer service. We need to do more as an industry, not just in Hong Kong, but around the world. Mm. Mm. Um, Herman Jair, you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. As I mentioned earlier, I think AI is one of AI or uh, technology is one of the directions of uh, many industries, not only in aviation, but of course, aviation. Uh, we now under uh, manpower shortage issues, which is uh, very critical uh, at the moment. So that is, uh, of course, for long term. For long term, this is, uh, of course, uh, the direction of the industry. Mm, mm, okay, and and, and um, Brendan Sobey, uh, just going back to what Stephen Chung was saying uh, just now. I mean, um, in terms of uh, cargo carrying capacity and what have you. I mean, we're, uh, Hong Kong and well, indeed uh, other places are uh, partly dependent on this, the health of the global economy. Um, uh, what's your sort of a, a projection for the the cargo business over the next year or so? Yeah, well, cargo, you know, has slowed down a bit recently. It's more sluggish now. But, you know, over the long term, um, the cycle uh, that cargo sees is quite different than the cycle that passengers' traffic sees. So it, it, it shouldn't get too, you know, focused or held up on what's happening now or, or in the short term. Um, I think it, over the long term, um, you know, cargo and, and, and particularly Hong Kong's position as, as, as the leading cargo hub is... is uh, is there for the, for, for the long term. Um, and uh, Hong Kong is, you know, particularly with the infrastructure coming in, in online with the free runway system and, and other um, infrastructure on the cargo side that, that's planned. Um, you know, that, 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 that con- cargo will be an extremely important um, uh, driver for, for future growth at, at the airport as well as at, at, at the airlines uh, based in, in Hong Kong. That's, that's not going away. And um, even if there's a shift in manufacturing, you know, to other markets, um, say from, from mainland China to, to other markets, um, Hong Kong is also well positioned to, to, for that growth in those other markets, whether it's in Vietnam or, uh, you know, Philippines or some of these other markets that are, are actually benefiting from uh, some of the shift uh, away from China because um, these are major, also major markets for Hong Kong, both from a cargo and passenger perspective. So geographically, Hong Kong is very well positioned, I would say, um, as a hub uh, going forward. Okay, okay. Uh, good. Um, I've got an email here from uh, listener Neil. Um, it's quite long, but I'd like to read it because uh, I'd like to get your, uh, uh, the opinions of our guests on this. Uh, it says, uh, Dear Backchat, one of the reasons there is a manpower shortage was due to airlines taking advantage of the pandemic and cutting staff and salaries. At one stage, new cabin crew offered employment on less than uh, 10,000 per month, taking advantage of people looking for work due to the closure of many companies. 
wages. Cathay cut Dragonair, for example. Pilots have wages uh, cut by half and now more or less are hourly workers, hence the slow taxiing complaints made by the airport authority. Each hour work uh, made a substantial difference to their take-home pay. Why would very experienced pilots and cabin crew go back as a new employee making substantially less than before? Only recently has pay increased towards acceptable levels. The lack of airport workers is completely related to the lack of pay and yet Cathay reports bumper profits due to uh, squeezing pay and allowances. To get the staff uh, pay... To get the staff pay acceptable wages and manpower uh, shortage uh, would be solved. That's from Neil. Um, um, St Stephen Chung, um, in your position as uh, founding chairman of the Professional Airline Pilots Association, um, what's the feeling uh, you know, among pilots about their pay and conditions at the moment? And well, yeah. of course, I wouldn't like my pay to be mm. cut. So, mm. so mm. you know, it, it's a very difficult uh, chess chess move, right? So to mm. speak. I mean, you've got to look at the overall health of the airline of the company. If, you know, it's a, it's a private business; it's not a state-owned enterprise. Cafe, um, um, they've got to cut, cut costs to maintain a, a a a business. And we didn't know when the border was going to open. If we had a clear roadmap, it's a different story altogether. Uh, but but uh, I mean. W Despite the, the cut, we still are one of the highest pay uh, um, uh, uh, jobs in the region um, uh, compared to, for example, Philippines or uh, rest elsewhere in Southeast Asia. Globally, we're still on par. I mean, um, my, my take-home pay was a lot less when I was working in Germany for, for, for a, a major flag carrier. So, so, but again, that's no excuse because the cost of living is much higher in Hong Kong as well. So, I mean, um, uh, I, I think the, the working condition will eventually improve uh, back to where it was. Uh, with 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 the demand and the flights uh, returning to 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 normal, um, uh, bear in mind that you know we're sixty percent of the capacity that what where we were when we're back to one hundred percent, you'll definitely have to have a much higher pay package and mm. and, and, um, and and whatnot. Mm. Uh, would you say we're we're relatively competitive at the moment? Or? Well, yes, we're still attracting people, but but you know. Uh, Further down the line, I'm not quite sure because you know we've got four or five airlines now in Hong Kong that calls Hong Kong home, and 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 the demand for the travel market are predicted to 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 continue to grow. I mean, we're talking about 16% year-on-year growth in 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 Asia and and 2% growth in 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 Europe. So so the the growth is definitely here in Asia. But then, how are we going to attract the talent? Are we training enough pilots? And 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 we we can we cannot. Uh, do, uh, um, 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 just uh, wait for uh, the, the the industry to recover. We need to invest more money on training pilots locally as well. Mm. Mm. Uh, Brendan, Brendan Sobey. Yeah, I mean that, that it, it is a global industry, um, and I mentioned this you know, earlier on as well. Um, it, it, Hong Kong has to be competitive. Um, you, you, you do have to train and recruit more locally, but particularly from in terms of experienced captains and. and and so forth. You, you need to bring those in and compete um, with airlines around the world. And everybody is, uh, you know, going to be expanding uh, again over the next several years. Um, you have, particularly in the Middle East, you you have Saudi Arabia, for example, you know, emerging as a major uh, growth market with massive uh, expansion plans by the airlines there. And um, so, so you know, and that, that they have, a, you know, those packages there are, are very attractive. Sometimes the pilots' uh, tax is much lower or zero. Uh, cost of living packages might might be much better. So, 
uh, it's, just, it's just a matter of um, you know competing and and, and, and attracting those those pilots. Um, a lot of those pilots will have to come from outside the region to to fill the jobs in Hong Kong, and um, and you just have to be, be competitive. Uh, and uh, you know, hopefully, the demand and the airfares will be uh, will be there to support that kind of um, position in terms of in terms of higher costs on on the salary and, and labor front. Mm. Uh, uh, thank you. And I also want to go back to Stephen about your private jet service. Like, uh, do you think what Hong Kong government can actually do to help this kind of like luxury business to maintain here now as now as a day? Well, absolutely. I mean, we need to grow. I mean, um, a lot of the family offices has moved to Singapore already in the, in the last year or so because they just opened much quicker and, and, and the, the geopolitical problem that we were facing. So mm-hmm. so we definitely need to attract, do more to attract the family office, uh, ultra high net worth individuals and corporations to invest and, and, and be located in Hong Kong. I mean, Hong mm-hmm. Kong is very convenient. You know, from Central to Admiralty, I can do business in 50 minutes. So, you know, that's, that's the competitive edge that we have compared to, for example, being stuck in traffic for an hour in Manila. Um, 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 but uh, we need to know what are our advantage and what are our weakness, and we need to do more uh, uh, as a whole, as a community, to do more to attract uh, businesses and also expats to live here. Hong Kong has always been an immigration city. You know, we've got people flowing coming from uh, to to work here from mainland China in, in in the 80s, 90s, and you know, people migrating from Hong Kong to Canada and US. You know, people are always moving in Hong Kong, and for in order for us to continue to be successful, we need to be moving yeah. and 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 and. And, and um, I, I think the the, the uh, business environment and, and 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 the feels of the city is getting much better uh, mm. compared to let's say two three years ago. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, okay, uh, we've just got a, a short time left, but let's just uh, ask uh, Herman Jair. Um, Herman Jair. So we talked about training pilots and, and so on, but of course uh, uh, the shortage uh, uh, is across the spectrum. I mean, what about in terms of the uh, ca- uh, cabin crew? Do you think uh, do you think our airlines are, are competitive enough? in attracting cabin crew? I mean, m- m- many of them had their uh, pay reduced by sort of even up to around about 50% uh, during the pandemic, didn't they? Yeah, this, this is not ideal, unfortunately. Um, but we all know under the pandemic, uh, all the airlines suffering from uh, less of the demand and uh, making laws all over the years. And restructure is, is, um, cannot, cannot be avoided. So, uh, of course, the salary structure of the cabin crew is part of it because there are a large uh, portion of that in operating course. And when when you look at the airlines, uh, their profit margin is relatively low, less than 2%. Uh, some some people may not know that, but so, uh, so this, it, if you are a commercial airline, so that you, you have to take some actions uh, in order to uh, maintain your, your operations. We know uh, we have government uh, capital injections uh, in Cathay Pacific and they need to return to the money uh, in the future. And perhaps uh, this is um, not ideal, but that's the reality. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for speaking to us uh, on the program this morning. Thanks to all of our guests for sharing your insights with us. Uh, that was Herman Jair. You just heard from a senior aviation analyst at the consultancy uh, Ascend by Sirium. Thanks very much to Brendan Sobey, aviation analyst and consultant at Sobey Aviation. And thank you to Stephen Jung, founder and CEO of private jet operator Seaplane Hong Kong Group and founding chairman of the Hong Kong Professional Airline Pilots Association. years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. 
I'm Christine Choi, the Secretary for Education. Congratulations on the 95th anniversary of RTHK, and many wishes for its future success. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. And for the last uh, 10 minutes uh, or so of this morning's programme, uh, something completely different. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, we're talking about what's uh, become known as the Barbenheimer phenomenon. And, uh, and, and I'm sure probably most of our listeners uh, already know that is the practice of going to watch uh, the two big blockbusters at the moment, uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer one after another. Um, <clears throat> to talk about it, uh, we're now joined uh, on the line by Elizabeth Kerr, who's a film critic. Uh, Elizabeth, good morning to you. Morning. Um, um, thanks for joining us. Um, so, uh, I saw from the news that uh, the box office takings for Barbie have just uh, topped one billion US dollars. That's after 17 days of release. Um, <clears throat> Oppenheimer's uh, uh, around about 500 million. So that would suggest uh, Barbie's twice as popular. What's, what's your sort of uh, assessment of those figures? Um, I think that's a little bit skewed. Um, Barbie is an hour shorter. Oppenheimer's three hours, three and a half, if you include ads and trailers and all that kind of thing. It's not getting as many showings per day as Barbie is. Uh, Barbie doesn't, and the best way to see Oppenheimer is in 3D and IMAX and 70 millimeter if you can, all that kind of thing. And if you look at a, um, any of the theaters still playing Oppenheimer here, uh, pick a random day and all the, all the seats in the middle, dead center, you know, right in front of the, it's optimum seats inside an IMAX theater are sold. Um, so it's, it's, it's a slower go for Oppenheimer than, than for Barbie. I don't think one is particularly more popular than the other. Mm. Okay, okay. okay. I, I, I will just say that I think uh, Carl's going to ask you a question at the moment. I, I will just say that uh, uh, my co-presenter Carl saw Barbie over the weekend. I saw Oppenheimer. Neither of us have seen both. So uh, um, perhaps you can uh, explain to us uh, you know, the, the, the popularity of, uh, of uh, watching one movie after another. I think usually usually Oppenheimer first, isn't it? How does, how does it work? Um, well, supposedly that's the theory. I've heard the theory that it's Barbenheimer. You see Barbie first, Oppenheimer second. If it's Oppen... Oppen... Oh. Oppen Arby or Oppen <laughs> Arby, something like that, it's Oppenheimer first, then Barbie. Right. Either way, uh, I don't recommend seeing both on the same day. Uh, that's, it's a lot of movie unless you're a film festival going professional and you've done five in a row starting at eight in the morning and ending at midnight. It's, it's, a, it's a tough slog. Uh, Oppenheimer is heavy going material, so I would set it aside for its, its, own, its own day. Um, but hey, to each his own, right? Um, it's good for the movies that they're kind of feeding off each other. And I think that's more, more what the phenomenon is about than anything else. Mm. Hi, hi, Elizabeth. Um, I, I would like to know, like, uh, as uh, Jim just mentioned it, I have watched um, Barbie over the weekend. So do you actually think um, the Barbie, I, I'm talking about the content about it, uh, is it trying to subvert the definition of, like, feminist, this topic in the movie? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. I think, um, I think Barbie is is very much 
are we even in a fourth wave? Fourth wave feminism 101 kind of thing. It's very intro level. Um, it's a Barbie movie. It is targeted at kids. Um, it does send a lot of very basic messages about equality and humanism and all this kind of thing. So in many ways, yeah, it is very, it is very, it is very feminist. It's also, though, all text, no subtext. Um, uh, the uh, the American Ferrera character, the Mattel employee, gets up what four or five six times and hammers home the same message uh, to all the Barbies that she's trying to you know uncult so to speak or or whatever the, the situation is. Uh, it's not it's not terribly it's not nearly as subversive as it thinks it is, and it's not nearly as cutting edge as it thinks it is. I think Barbie works because it's. A fun intro to feminism that's not too um, that's not too difficult to grasp, especially for kids, for young girls mm. and young boys who need it probably more than young girls do, and um, and it's easy to watch. And arguably, sadly, sorry, strike me down. I'm about to get I'll probably get flamed for this somewhere. Um, I think the Ken stuff in the movie is a little bit more interesting than the Barbie stuff. So, you know, take that take that however you will. Uh, is it a feminist? film it's got a lot of Gerwig's favorite bugbears in it absolutely you know self-determination um you know uh, agency in the face of a lot of you know male masculine patriarchal uh pushback all that kind of thing and she's hearing about it you know from the right-wing trolls all over the place as we speak she doesn't she i'm sure she expected it so is it a feminist you know a, a towering feminist achievement not really is it a strong one? Sure. Mm. And it was never going to be with Mattel producing it. So that's not their game. Mm. I, th I think this movie is like definitely invoking my like childhood memories and like going <laughs> to a movie center, like theater with a bunch of like school friends. It's definitely mm -hmm. like bringing me back to the um, old days. And I think this movie, in my opinion, is like um, it's totally showing the woman in this society, like how hard we need to like build our image, how we need to like fulfill the social norms, the expectation from the society. I think this part, they, this movie can totally represent it and describe it very well. What do you think? Um, well, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I said that it's all text, no subtext. It's all there in, in the story. Mm. Um, there's there's subtle takedowns of especially of the Barbie doll itself, which has been the subject of how many papers and arguments and critiques and all this kind of thing over it. How what is it? Fifty, sixty, seventy years old that doll. Mm. Um, oh yeah. Nineteen fifty nine. It was the first one was released. It's it's been the subject of it's been the target for you know feminist critique for many 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 years. Um, that's not new, and there are little critiques in it. Um, Gerwig, is, Gerwig and, and her co-writer, Noah Baumbach, are intensely aware of what Barbie symbolizes to, to a lot of people. But you're right. Um, one of the strengths of Barbie, as opposed to Oppenheimer, is that it is a, it's a collective, it's a collective experience. Mm. Um, I, a couple of friends of mine have gotten dressed up in pink and gone, the whole bit, right? So, uh, and it, it, is, it does have, uh, Nostalgia, I guess, for strangely for something that already exists, but nonetheless nostalgia, and um, and yeah, it's it, it, it's it's a fine feminist it, feminism one hundred and one intro.
Uh, and just uh, turning to the other movie, uh, Oppenheimer, it's garnered a great deal of uh, critical acclaim. Um, uh, w would you expect that it would sort of, uh, you know, feature prominently in the next uh, Academy Awards? Well, assuming there are Academy Awards, because um, that's what, March, February, that's, uh, that's a big assumption to assume that the writer's strike is going to be over by yeah, then at yeah, this point. Yeah. Mm. Um, but uh, is it an Oscar contender? Probably. Um, it, it's got all the trappings of an Oscar film. Um, the Oscars have, <laughs> to the degree they can, gotten a little more relaxed in the last few years of stepping outside that September to December comfort zone when the real films, quote-unquote real films, come out. Um, so, yeah, it should be it should be an Oscar contender. Killian Murphy is, abso is absolutely phenomenal in... in Oppenheimer, so he deserves he deserves his award. Emily Blunt is, for the most part, she spends most of the time playing the houseplant. It was really disappointing until the very. It's almost like they were holding her back until that last couple of scenes she has, um, where she goes into the the hearing about his about Oppenheimer's uh, security clearance, yeah. and she just absolutely goes, crushes goes on the it. Offensive. And, oh, oh, oh man! Oh, now that's Barbie action right there, um, Barbie energy. But um. Yeah, probably. I would expect it to be uh, uh, in in the running for uh, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of major awards this year. Like I said, it checks the boxes. It's about a dead guy. It's about a real thing. It's mm. epic length. Mm. Done. Mm. Mm. So uh, I think like both movies, even though I have just watched Barbie, I will definitely go to watch uh, Oppenheimer later on. And mm -hmm. both movies are having their historically like significant in their own ways. But I mean, do you actually think the line between entertainment, media hype and uh, re-traumatization like, uh, is getting thinner as this phenomenon appear? Do I think that the the line between hype and, uh, and what the exploitation or like the re-traumatization about because like the Oppenheimer is actually the the the, the story of the atomic bombs and is really okay. describing the uh, real yep. world changing event uh, yep. like on the screen. So do you think using the Barbie and Oppenheimer like? within together and like combining it together as a phenomenon will actually hurt the yeah. people who got event right. after um, the major yeah. and very important event which I happened see. in August 1945. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about um, however many years ago, in a couple of days, the first one, the first one, the yeah. first bomb fell in Hiroshima. So, yeah, um, that's a very thorny subject, and there's there's validity to the argument that um, fluffy hype does kind of it blurs it blurs not blurs the line, but it it it's you're right. It cheapens, yeah. it cheapens it cheapens the reality of the situation. Mm. By that same in that same argument, though, is this um, incredible awareness of the movie Oppenheimer that we wouldn't have had otherwise. And probably with it, an incredible awareness of what actually happened in Hiroshima and in Nagasaki in 1945, mm. that surprisingly, you may not want to think it, and we all may think our schools are better than they are, but there are tons of people out there who, who don't know what actually happened mm. on yeah. those days. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I remember seeing 1917 a few years ago in a theater, and there were some ki- ki- kids, you know, I'm okay, I'm yeah. ancient, so they were, what, 20, 21, 22, <laughs> behind me saying... What? Wait, what? World War One? Yeah, they didn't know. They did. They didn't know. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's the, yeah. Sure, sure. I take the point. That's the power of these films in bringing the uh, history to uh, reality. But, th- but thank you very much. Sorry, we've got to stop there because we're out of time. But thanks very much for okay. joining us, uh, uh, Elizabeth Kerr, film critic. Um, thanks to uh, our listeners. Um, uh, thanks very much to you, uh, guest presenter Carl. Thank you. And thanks to uh, Raphael, our, produ- our producer. Um, stay with us. New summary coming up, followed by brunch with Noreen. <laughs>